it's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Here's your host. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is uh, Tom Sumner, along with my co-host, Andrea Sutton, joining me by phone. Hey, good morning. And that was Limonet? It was. It was the... All right. The, uh, um, from the... Children. Yeah, they were young, young, uh, it's not exactly exchange students. They were... Uh, oh. members of the, the youth chorus, the Lehman A Youth Chorus, and they were visiting Flint. This that was yeah, that was probably ten years ago. And yeah, all of those yeah. young people um sang live in the studio and it and it was it was just a joy to see. But I opened today with that because uh all of those young people are uh, in France celebrating Bastille Day. Oh, Nelly. Which okay. is for France, like uh, the 4th of July here. It okay, was, uh, yes. And, and the parallels are kind of interesting because it was on this day, July 14th, in 1789. When oh, my a, goodness. When a uh, violent uprising 
helped usher in the French Revolution. Now that was just on the heels of uh, of our own Revolutionary War and uh, Declaration of Independence. And in July of 1789, we were still ratifying the U.S. Constitution here in the U.S. Um, so the 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 parallels, you know, are, are just so close. Um, mm-hmm. It is literally uh, France's Independence Day today. And I thought in honor of that, we'd uh, pay a little tribute. We've got a great show coming up, but uh, in honor of Bastille Day, I'm going to replay an interview in the third half of our three-hour tour with Jason Berry, who uh, has written the history of New Orleans. And New Orleans is... Uh, these days, probably our closest connection to France. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. To France. <laughs> <laughs> to France. Anyway, uh, anyway, it's, a, it's a, a fun interview with Jason Berry from 2019. He wrote a book, uh, A Million Dreams or something something along those lines. But it's a, a yeah. hit, uh, the 500-year history of New Orleans or some unbelievable thing. And um, and then also coming up in in just a little bit, um, we're going to revisit. What's going on, Tom? We're, we're going to talk with David Baldacci <laughs> about his recent book, and um, and writing and and so on. Always fun when uh, I talk to David Baldacci. And in the the uh, in the donut hole of the show, the middle hour, we're going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> the, the diet hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, donuts have less calories when they have holes in them. <laughs> no, this is fascinating. In fact, I almost sent an okay. e- almost sent an email to Brendan Beery because I thought he would really enjoy this. My our, my guest uh, during the second hour of the show is one of the world's leading authorities on the legal history of the American abortion debate. Yeah, I saw that on the show post. That's very interesting. Mary Ziegler is her name, and um, she's uh, recently published a book called Abortion and the Law in America. And she's okay. she's frequently uh, called upon by media and different organizations. I mean, she lectures on the subject. She's she's very knowledgeable, and with and it's this is kind of timely with the recent uh, Supreme Court decision. Um, and Mississippi or Louisiana? I couldn't remember. Louisiana, I think. The state. Okay. All right. Um, I know Texas yeah, had Louisiana. one, too, and, and uh, I'm not sure which one, uh, now that, that you mention it, I'm not 100% sure which one they just okay. ruled on. Uh, but it was an interesting ruling, especially because uh, John Roberts, the Chief Justice, um, yeah, that's right. Yep. Had the deciding vote in uh you know, their typical 5-4 fashion. And anyway, it'll be interesting to see never, what n- Never ahead. assume how judges will decide. Never assume. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's why you settle. <laughs> ah, that's right. Anyway, she's a legal uh, historian and professor of law at Florida State University. And she's written extensively on this subject, so it should be, it should be pretty interesting because, as uh, anybody who spends any time listening to this or any other radio program where talk is featured, um, 
the debate rages on. Well, it's not about COVID, so everything is cool. Yeah, well, the whole show is not about COVID today, which is kind of nice for a change. Um, (laughs) And we could be talking about macaroni and cheese. It is officially macaroni and cheese day. Oh, no. Another international day, right? I don't know if it's international or not. Macaroni and cheese (laughs) seems fairly uh, American. But in honor of uh, Bastille Day, I will mention that yesterday was National French Fry Day. Oh, how sweet. Not American Friday? No, French Friday. No. Okay, just check it. You ever, <laughs> you ever watch Family Feud? With Steve Harvey? Yeah. Or the yeah, guy no, that Steve. loved to kiss all the women and make people No, that's the, that's the old one. The, the newer ones okay. with Steve Harvey. All right. I was, yeah. wa- I was watching one, and the question was something like, you know, top four answers on the board. What is France known for? And one of the first, and this is a poll. They they poll like a hundred people, get their best response to, you know, whatever the question is. Cheating couples. And they was put that the first one. No, French fries. Are now, you France is not known for French fries. <laughs> it's known for short dictators have their hands in their vest. <laughs> Vive la France. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but uh, let's see. Um, holiday experts at National Today surveyed a thousand Americans about their French fry habits. And um, McDonald's, 35% prefer McDonald's French fries. 13% no. Uh, preferred Chick-fil-A french fries. Where um, is there a restaurant in Michigan? Chick-fil-A. I don't Isn't know. It Detroit or the west side? 12, 12% went for uh, Five Guys, and I don't even know what that chain is. 11% for Wendy's um, and Arby's. They were tied for 11%. Um, that rounds out the top five in the ultimate ranking of fast food fries. 21% of Americans said regular fries were their favorite style, while 20% voted for curly fries. And 55% said, said ketchup was their favorite condiment. Yeah. So that's the, the recap on uh, National French Friday from you. You are just a wealth of information. Well, you know. <laughs> COVID. COVID. <laughs> yeah. It's because, you know, COVID. No, it's actually because, you know, Google. But. Yeah, no fake. No, but these things no pop fake. up once in a while, on, you know, on my feed. Like, like it's national macaroni and cheese. Oh. That's just, just, that's just weird. Did you see, um trending on twitter that myspace remember tom was his name or jack i think jack was his name he sold um myspace for like 500 million boy that was now he's just go ahead now he's just retired and um this fella didn't sell any data he (laughs) 
didn't breach any kind of, you know, software issues. He's just like, I made a platform, now I'm selling it, now I'm going to retire. Well, does does anybody ever go there? I, evidently, there's a lot of people, actually. Actually, <laughs> I can't believe MySpace is trending on Twitter. That's useless information, but... Yeah. 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 That's fine. And I brought that up because you were a member of Twitter just so you could stalk your kids, remember? No, of MySpace. Yes. And then I switched over to Facebook, but I never got rid of my MySpace page. And mm -hmm. now I can't access it. Why? Because every time I try to, I can, because I don't remember the password. And, <laughs> and so they, they send, so they, they send a reminder of my password to an email I no longer have. Oh, Nellie. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, I guess forget that platform. <laughs> so whatever's there is just there. <laughs> I remember the picture of you. You had a mustache. Oh, yeah. Right? That, that goes back a ways. <laughs> Been a while since I had the stash. <laughs> 1970s Tom Selleck mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, walk down internet lane. <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's all still out there. It is. It is. <laughs> but that gave me the idea to join Facebook to stalk my kids. So I think every five years we won up the social media platform to keep in touch with our children. Well, just, yeah, just, you know, to keep stalking them. <laughs> of course, my kids are, you know, grown and have kids of their own now. So, you know, my, my stalking days are over. Oh, no, you can still stalk because they have kids. You want to know what's going on with your grandkids. <laughs> I don't want anybody <laughs> to know I'm still stalking. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to... Uh, put stocking aside and uh, go to break here but uh, but when we come back we'll have my uh, recent conversation with uh, author best-selling author um, number one best-selling author David Baldacci and good, uh, he's good. had he's had so much sex success probably sex too <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, Your and, flip is and I'm, I'm sure we won't be talking about that <laughs> but uh, but you never know David Beldach, he's been on the show many times, and it's always fun to talk to him. So we'll hear from him coming up. Andrew will be back with me tomorrow as we kick off Armchair Politics. And uh, there'll be lots to talk about tomorrow. But anyway, thanks, oh, yeah. and uh, have a great day, kiddo. We'll, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Hey, you too. All right, we'll be Bye. right back with David Baldacci. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part, because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the America, your children have an amazing superpower. They can help save lives by not having playdates. That's right. By replacing get-togethers with virtual playdates and video chats, they can help slow the evil spread of germs. And if your superheroes do go outside, make sure they continue their superhero wing by staying six feet away from others to protect everyone in America land. Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Your calls matter. Join me and Andrea weekdays from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern to talk about whatever you want to talk about. The Tom Sumner Program has open phone lines Monday through Friday to hear from you. How's 2020 working out for you so far? How about those damn roads? Call in live at 810-339-8255. It's all about you. We'll be streaming live at TomSumnerProgram.com and simulcast on WFOV 92.1 FM in Flint. Foil hats are optional. Can the lady of the house, please? Where's she? Uh, <laughs> you thought you had every Elvis record made, but wait, Elvis sings again, this time from heaven. That's right, Elvis from heaven. Yes, hear Elvis from Graceland in the Sky. Soul-stirring versions of epic proportions. You'll hear Elvis crooning, Pearly Gate Rock. All dug up, lying in the chapel, and 11 others. This record also includes a special Elvis message. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Elvis Presley. Order before midnight tonight and receive this Elvis Presley commemorative casket keychain. Open it up, yes. The king inside. A must for any Elvis fan. Order yours today. To order your Elvis from Heaven, send $9.95 in check or money order to Elvis from Heaven, P.O. Box 714, Cleo, Michigan, 44487. Or save COD charges and phone 555-5554. Use Master Charge or Visa, Canadian residence, add $3. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner program is provided by Swiftlet Technology. Engineering and IT services at swiftland.technology. 
This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, My guest this hour has uh, just come out with a new book. He is a number one New York Times bestselling author. And uh, Amos Decker, his character from The Memory Man, returns in a new book called Walk the Wire. I think think the first time uh, David Baldacci was on my show, we were talking about Memory Man. But he joins me now by phone. David Baldacci, welcome back. It's good to talk to you again. Hey, it's great to be back. Thank you very much. Um, now, I, I was saying that because this this uh, conversation we're having will, will air during an anniversary show, and I'll be making a big deal out of the fact that I think the first first time we uh, we talked was about Memory Man and uh, Amos Decker's uh, special superpower. Right. No, it, yeah, he's he's um he has hypothalamia and synesthesia, and he got both of those through a brain trauma. He was a football player, the Cleveland Browns got tackled on a play and so viciously that he went into a coma. He came out of it with a brain trauma, and sometimes in brain traumas, your brain sort of rewires itself to get around the damaged areas, and in doing so, access parts of his brain that he really didn't have full access to before. One was memory. So now he has sort of an infallible, perfect recall memory. The other one was, was a commingling of the sensory pathways, such that one of the things that when he sees death, he sees a dead body, he sees it in an electric blue color, um, which is common among people with synesthesia. They may see days of the week as color, they may see a sound as a color or a number as a color. That's why the pathways have been commingled in that way. So having a perfect memory is a great attribute for a detective because that's, a, that's what he becomes after he leaves football. He's a police officer in Ohio and then becomes a homicide detective, and now he works as an investigator for the FBI. And and he uh, has a uh, colleague that's working with him, Alex Jameson, and they head off to London, but not the London we normally think of, London, North Dakota, where yes. uh, where it sounds like from all of the uh, uh, ruthless business owners, shady government officials, and religious outsiders, sounds like the place where everybody wears foil hats. It is. It's a, it's a very isolated area, and um, not a lot of people live there or would live there except for one thing, and that's fracking. So fracking is bringing up oil and gas out of the Bakken oil shale deposits down there. They're sitting under billions of gallons of oil and trillions of cubic feet of natural gas, and everybody wants it. So London, North Dakota, which would be a small town under, under circumstances, and now see this influx of enormous numbers of people, thousands of people coming out of work in the oil fields, and they've had to build a new town virtually overnight to accommodate all of that. And along with that comes, you know, criminal elements who, when you have a lot of money in one place, criminals come to try to take some of it away. Um, and along with that, you have two other elements that actually exist in North Dakota, just on the eastern side, but I'd read a story about them, and it's one of the reasons why I set this, this book in North Dakota. There's an Air Force facility called an Eye in the Sky in eastern North Dakota. It was deployed in the 60s, and its job is to look out for nuclear missiles coming at us fired by Russia. This is during the Cold War. And a religious sect, um, the Hutterites, and they're based on a communal living um, sort of idea from the scriptures, started out in Germany centuries ago, and parts of the sect came to the United States. And 
they bought some land from the Air Force to run in this eye in the sky, and I read a story about it, and I thought, that's pretty interesting. So I just sort of listed up all that stuff in eastern North Dakota and set it in, North, in western North Dakota, uh, in the middle of the fracking land, and that's where I put London, North Dakota, and that's where the story starts. And Decker and Jameson are, are called in uh, because a woman, Irene Kramer, has been murdered. But they find the body has been expertly autopsied and then dumped out in the open. I, what makes someone think of finding a body just, you know, along the side of the road or something that has been autopsied? That that seems like a, a very unusual circumstance. Absolutely, is very unusual. And in order to justify doing that, and I don't do anything gratuitously, there has to be a reason for it. And that reason is, you know, clearly revealed during the course of the novel and why the body had to, was done to the body, what was done to the body. Um, but even, you know, early on in the novel, I mean, Decker is confused as to why they're even there. Because it's just a murder. Obviously, it's a, it's a horrible murder, but local police handle local murders. So the FBI doesn't get called in on local homicides unless there's a serial killer or something else like that associated with it. The other problem is, who is Irene Kramer, the, the woman that was found? Who was she really? She taught at the, at the religious sect school. Uh, she seemed like an, a normal person. How in the world did she end up, you know, dead in the field in the middle of nowhere with her, you know, her body being autopsied? And if they dig into her past, they realize there are a lot of surprises and gaps and voids and suspicious things. They're not even sure who Irene Kramer really is. But when a couple of other characters appear in the novel, they're actually characters that are from another one of my series, um, it becomes crystal clear that the federal government has a big interest in what happened to Irene Kramer. Uh, and that you know her death might involve some national security interest in this country. And uh, it's kind of like two TV series crossing over where you have two characters from one series crossing over <laughs> to another, and Decker gets to work with them. So that was kind of cool. It, uh, it, it isn't my favorite character from Absolute Power, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I, keep, I keep wondering if he's going to show up in a story. If you were going to do a crossover, why couldn't you, why couldn't you bring him... Uh, you know, have him help and consult in some way. <laughs> I was trying to think, is his name Lucius? Oh, Luther. 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 Yes. Luther. Right. I, I, I was I was trying to think, and, and I, I couldn't I, I couldn't quite put it together. <laughs> um, but uh, the the thing that I, that I find interesting about this wouldn't it be tempting to assume. Uh, finding a body that had been autopsied, that this body had been taken from a morgue and and relocated and, and that it wasn't a murder, it was just some kind of weird hijinks? Oh, yeah, it, it could have been. I mean, they, the thing was that, you know, her body was identified as being the school teacher from the religious sect. Even though she'd been autopsied, she could be identified um, by her facial features and people who knew her in town. So they knew that she was, you know, was a real person who had been murdered, um, and they just needed to figure out why and why, you know, what had been done to her body, why had that been done? You know, what did it matter? Why did they have to cut her up like that? Was it some crazy person? Was it a serial killer going through a ritual? There were lots of different sort of investigative theories. 
Um, when they started, you know, really delving into her background, they just found a lot of gaps that ordinarily you would not find in someone's background. And do you think it's it's um, necessarily the case when you have a town like uh, like you've um, created in uh, in North Dakota, this this London, North Dakota, where an industry is taking off? I, this could have been the case in. Uh, Silicon Valley. It was the case here in Flint, Michigan, in the 30s and 40s, um, where a town becomes a boom town, and people are coming from all over to cash in on some new industry. Here, it's fracking. Um, in in other places, it's likened to uh, various gold rush communities. And it, does it necessarily bring? This kind of weird uh, uh, combination of people and interests. Yeah, you know, I think that the research I did on the fracking in North Dakota, um, that it brought in a lot of different elements from all cross cuts of society. A lot of young men were attracted to the work there from other parts of the country because it's physically demanding work. You don't necessarily have to have a, you don't have to have a college degree or advanced education. Uh, you just have to be willing to work hard and have a strong body and have a lot of endurance because it's a very physically hard work to do. You have there's skill involved, but you can be taught that. And the pay is incredible. You know, you have guys in their twenties who right out off the bat can be making six figures up there. Um, with a lot of money to spare because the cost of living, while it has gone up because of the demand, it's not like living in New York City. Um, but you also, you know, my research found you get a lot of guys who are on the run from other places. They've done, they've committed crimes or they're, you know, trying to get out from child support. So they just leave and they go to North Dakota, which is a remote, isolated place, to try to start again and make a lot of money in a short period of time. Um, so while you have a lot of, you know, you know, good people, honorable people, honest people going up there to work and bringing their families. You also had a lot of young men who had no families at all, were trying to escape from a past, sometimes a criminal past, to go up there and to work um, to make a lot of money. And when that happens, you know, sometimes those criminal past catch up. Sometimes the guys, you know, working in the fields also have things on the side uh, where they're selling drugs and other things like that. Uh, to make even more money and trying to exploit people who have, you know, are now making big salaries. Uh, prostitution uh, rampant up there as well, as you can imagine, in the oil fields. Um, gambling and lots of other illegal activities. Uh, just trying to, you know, relieve the people of the money they've earned. Uh, and that's just the way it works, unfortunately. Um, now, this is... Uh Obviously, part of a series with Memory Man, The Last Mile, The Fix, The Fallen, Redemption, and now Walk the Wire. How many series do you have running? Um, <laughs> I think I've, I've created, I think, maybe seven or eight different series. And I think I have four currently running, four or five currently running. So it's just one of those things, you know, when you've been running a long time and you're trying to make sure you stay fresh and trying different things and coming up with new series characters is a good way to do that. So you get, you know, the impulse where you have to go out and create a brand new character so that makes you fresh and re-energized because it's totally brand new. And then being able to look at that character for a number of books, however many it might turn out to be, 
which is a nice little run as well. So you get to, you know, new character and then live with them for a while and let them evolve and change over time, uh, which as a writer is a great thing to sort of see. It's kind of like instead of doing a feature film, you're doing a television series or a miniseries where you get 10 episodes to see the character grow or you get five or six seasons to see the characters grow and change. Well, you've got the, the Memory Man series and uh, a couple other a couple others that I'm more familiar with, uh, Atley Pine series, which is fairly new, and the Will Roby right. series. Um, right. But what's, what's interesting about that is do you just, um, when you're making the decision to come out with a new book, to write a new story, um, how much of that is is David Baldacci going? You, you know, geez, I I, I kind of miss uh, I kind of miss Amos Decker. I think it's time to visit with Amos or or uh, Will Roby or or one of the other characters. There's certainly that personal element attached to it. You know, it's kind of like a friend you haven't seen for a while, and you're going to go back to them. And another of it is more of a sort of a focused look at, okay, I want to establish this character. I want to be able to return to them fairly regularly, once a year in this in this case, so that readers can get to know the characters, understand the characters, and, and can sort of follow them through. So it establishes that series, which is really important. I wouldn't want to write a series, write the first book, and then wait three years to write the second book. It just doesn't really work. For a number of reasons, for for the for for me as, and, and and for the reader as well. So um, for the last five or six years, it's been you know Decker in the spring to establish his character, and, and in the fall it used to be a Roby, it used to be a John Puller, now it's Natalie Pond. Uh, so you know, right now those are the two characters I'm focused on, and then I have this new character, my gumshoe from 1949, Aloysius Archer. Um, I introduced him last year in One Good Deed, and now I'm writing a sequel to that. Um, and I, I, I wonder, too, if when you're thinking of stories, so we talked about this the last time uh, that we got together, David. Um, you're always thinking about, you know, this would make a good story. We, we talked about your trip to the Grand Canyon, and I asked if you were really on vacation or, you know, do you ever get away from it? Can you go on vacation without thinking, wow, this would be a good setting for a book? Um, but when you come up with a story idea, um, do you find yourself going, oh, I'll save that, you know, for Atlee Pine, or that's that's clearly an Amos Decker story? Yeah, oftentimes that is exactly the case um, because it has to feel right, you know. Not an Natalie Pine, you know, sort of element would not be a may not be a good book for Emma Stecker or certainly not for Will Roby or John Puller in the military. So it is kind of that, um, and I just kind of put that in my hip pocket and hang on to it and know that at some point I'll use that um, because it can't be one size fits all. Uh, it has to really mesh with the characters I've created and who that character is. Otherwise, it would just be you know, a round hole in a square peg. Now, we've talked about how, how prolific you are and, and how many, I, I think you've, I, I lost count at like 35 New York Times bestsellers. <laughs> um, I don't know how many books you have all together, but um, when you're, you're writing that much, you know, I'm, I know you work at home, or I think you work at home, or do you have an office? 
I, yeah, I have an office in Northern Virginia. I have an office outside the house, and that's where I, I have a staff that you know handles all the other stuff related to the business of publishing and social media and interviewing and scheduling and all that stuff. Um, so if I'm in town in Northern Virginia, I go to the office every day. Um, other places that we have, I always have a you know a small office set up. Well, I'm, I'm sitting right now. We're in Florida right now, and so we're sheltering in place in Florida, and I'm in my office down here. Um, but I can write anywhere. It really doesn't matter. I've always felt like the perfect place to write is not a physical space. It's kind of in your head. If you're in a zone, you can write in the middle of 100 people and so on. Well, and, and that's that's kind of what I was leading up to, David, because with, uh, you know, everybody sheltering in place um, and, and in, you know, most states like here in Michigan, um, you know, being under stay-at-home orders, it, it it got me thinking. Are, are you are you writing or are you riding out the storm? I w- I would think uh, as prolific as you are, uh, for however long you're knocked down, you'd come out at the back end with three new books. Yeah, I <clears throat> I'm definitely being very productive right now because again, there's not much else to do, and so I've been. I've been writing a lot, uh, working on the Rattling Pie, working on the next Aloysius Archer from 1949. And uh, so, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in isolation anyway, regardless of whether it's a pandemic, just because that's what writers do. They spend a lot of time with themselves, you know, working on their stories. But uh, it's definitely been extra time spent now uh, for me doing that. that that's that's kind of what I was getting at, because I, I just... Um, at the beginning of the year, I closed down the studio that I had and brought all the gear home, planning to do the show from home now. And then all of a sudden, a month later, everybody's working from home. <laughs> and I just wondered if it was kind of like that for you, too, because um, writing is a very solitary thing, and it's real easy to shift gears and say, well, you know, as long as i got to spend some time indoors, I might as well get some words on the page. That's right. Yeah, that's definitely been the case with me. And I've talked to some other writer friends um, who were kind of hold up in the same way. And yes, we all do that from time to time, but it just seems like it's more of the case now. So sheltering in place means writing in place for us. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a great way to not feel um, restrained. That's right. Because it's a big change um, for a lot of people trying to figure out how to work from home or what to do if they're just not working. Yes, exactly right. And uh, I, you know, I've certainly felt that and continue to sort of feel that. But um, it's it's uh, you know another experience for me and other people and writers in general to just kind of look at the world right now and going on and you know, with the pandemic and seeing how things are happening across the country, some good things, some bad things, and how people are, you know, either coming together or, or dividing themselves, uh, depending on their points of view. And, you know, it's a, it's a very complicated situation right now, and it's interesting to see how it's being covered in the news and what decisions leaders are making and seeing the healthcare professionals and people, you know, working in hospitals and struggling through it all. Um, it is an incredibly complicated scenario, and it's going to, it's going to stay with people for a very long time, particularly the people who are on the front lines of this. You see it more so than any of us do every day, up close and personal. Um, and also, people have been affected by it. People have lost loved ones to the disease, and you know this is this disease is just 
it's a heinous one because even if you recover, you can have long-term disability because it attacks your other organs, your lungs and your heart, kidneys and all that. So it's going to be with us for a long time, if not physically, certainly psychologically. I think things are, are probably going to change for a lot of people when it does run its course. I think there are certain things, well, for one, and this is, of course, a very small thing, but I think the elbow bump is here to stay. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I, I've, uh, I'm kind of like, on book tour, I'm kind of like a politician, you know, everybody wants to shake hands. But sure. These days, you know, I, and I, over the years, I've, I've had to shake a lot of sweaty hands. <laughs> and um, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm all for the elbow bump. <laughs> And like I say, that's that's kind of a, a small thing because I think, uh, you know, delivery services and online buying and stuff is is really going to take off. But one of the things, that, and I always want to make sure that we get a chance to talk a little bit about your Wish You Well Foundation. And one of the things that I wondered about is with all of the uh, people that are trying to homeschool their kids and figure out what to do for kids that are out of school for the rest of the school year. Um, the Wish You Well Foundation works on a bunch of projects uh, related to literacy. It's uh, something that you and your wife have been doing for, well, several years now. Um, I just wondered if uh, if the Wish You Well Foundation is, is finding its way into projects to... Um, address its mission during this situation if if there are some things that maybe you're doing differently yeah we you know we've already started to get applications from organizations that are, are dealing with this pandemic um, already from at least you know homeschooling staying sheltered in place particularly with kids uh, point of view and also a lot of the Adult literacy programs that we fund over the country, across the country, are in person, in classroom, um, and not a lot of these people, for various reasons, can do this from home. Some of them don't have computers. Um, some of them live in areas that don't have broadband, so they can't get on the internet. So you have some kids in rural areas who school's been canceled for the rest of the year. They go home. They don't have computers. And they don't have broadband. So how do they continue their education? Um, it's, you know, I mean, some people in the United States feel like, well, everybody has access to the Internet, everybody's got computers and broadband. No, they don't. Big swaths of the country don't have that at all. So we've had some organizations that, you know, we're um, helping to fund. They're trying to attack that dilemma uh, in various ways, uh, you know, delivering things curbside to homes, uh, books and assignments, and um, trying to have community centers uh, that are uh, rigged with broadband that can then go out to other devices, you know, uh, smartphones, if people have them, maybe iPads, if people have them. It's just really difficult because you can't, ordinarily you would just congregate people together and let them, you know, work off of one device, but you can't do that now. So people have had to become really, really, you know, creative in how they're going after this because, you know, people can't congregate. You can't, you know, have 30 people in the room right now. Um, it just doesn't work. So, you know, we are starting to see some of those things come through, and we're certainly, you know, very excited and interested in wanting to help support that as much as we can. More with bestseller David Baldacci.
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling author photographers and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Thank you, and thank you all for tuning in. You know, we know that tough times don't last, but tough people do. We've been through a lot here in Michigan. We've been through crisis before, where the country needed their countrymen and countrywomen to pitch in collectively to get through a crisis and rise to the occasion. Michigan once was the arsenal of democracy to win World War II. We need that same spirit now. We're working around the clock with doctors and hospitals and first responders to stop the spread and to save lives. But we need your help too. The state has launched a new volunteer website at www.michigan.gov forward slash fight COVID-19 where trained medical professionals can register to serve their fellow Michiganders by assisting hospitals in fighting COVID-19. State residents can also use the site to find out how they can help in their local communities by giving blood or donating resources or needed medical supplies. Whether you're a medical professional looking to volunteer or you're someone who can give blood or donate to your local food bank, everyone can help out. To get through this, we must all do our part. Stay home, stay safe, and save lives. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed. 
a magical place with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hey this is first ward city councilman eric mays and you're listening to the tom sumner program More with bestseller David Baldacci straight ahead. I, I was uh, reading some press speaking of uh, technology and, and equipment and so on. Um, I, I just picked up on the phrase with, uh, with your new book, uh, Walk the Wire. Um, also available in downloadable audio. That's such a, such a great phrase. Um, but... I, it, it made me wonder, David, I, um, because I know a lot of your fans like to have the book in hand. You know, they they like to have a physical hard copy if possible, and and consume the books that way. But do you have a, a large following in uh, audio books and and CDs and and all that too? Yeah, in fact, the, the downloadable audio is the fastest growing segment of publishing right now. It certainly has been the case with my books, where you would, you know, see a re- piece of the revenue pie that, you know, four years ago was, um, you know, $100,000. Now it's well into the seven figures just on the audible download. People, it's because they have smartphones and they download it straight there and their smartphone is always with them. And they can listen to it anywhere, car, on the bus, walking outside, on their bike, while they're walking, whether you can wear your pods in. Um, so that has grown enormously in popularity. And, uh, but, but you're right, so some people still like the physical book. And I know that, you know, um, they can still get it delivered to you. I know that in a lot of bookstores, Independence, Barnes & Noble, some of the other chains are offering curbside service, like restaurants do. So you order and pay for it, and it's outside with your name on it, and you don't have to touch anything. And... And you can just take it home and read it, or you get it, you know, delivered uh, to your home, you know, through UPS or the mail or whatever. So, you know, avenues to still get the physical product, um, but certainly a lot of people enjoy reading it just on the book or listening to it. And they can do that without going anywhere. Have you um, have you had to uh, cancel a lot of events and and reschedule and so on? I, I know you do a lot of stuff. I don't know that you do a lot of stuff, David, but I've seen some of the things that you do online. Um, yes, like the master yeah, class I, I, and other things. Right. I, yeah, I had to um, cancel my entire tour. I was supposed to be in Omaha, Nebraska today at the. University of Nebraska at Omaha's basketball arena is going to be 2,500 people in there to hear me speak and do a book signing. And I had 11 other cities lined up right after that. You know, Iowa, Wisconsin, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Maryland, all those were canceled. Um, so we, we're trying to replicate some of it. I'll, you know, when times get better, I will go back to those places and do those events. We're already rescheduling a lot of it. But for now, we're trying to do stuff virtually and doing Zoom sessions either individually or with some other authors. We're trying to do things on social media uh, to, you know, do virtual book panels and people can ask questions and have conversations. And to the extent that we can, we're going to continue to do that. We're still formulating these plans because everything kind of happened all of a sudden. Um, and uh, we're trying to put a, you know, a virtual tour together and trying to get, you know, I've been signing book plates and sending them out to bookstores around the country 
I've been doing videos online, uh, promoting not just my book, but other authors and, and other authors' books as well, uh, which I think is really important. Um, so I'll continue to do more of that. Yeah, it is. I, I remember uh, talking the last time about um, some of the uh, <laughs> the the cross uh, uh, comments uh, about various books and and. Uh, if if you had some kind of a club, you know, because I'd see a quote from you on somebody's book and a quote from them on one of your books. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yes, yeah. the blurb, the blurb club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the blurb club. That's what it is. Um, David, it is always a uh, a pleasure to, to to talk with you, and it's great uh, to have another installment of uh, Amos Decker. Um, I was lo- looking for a pun there about I remember him well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> but um, what? Uh, okay, this this book is uh, is out now. Walk the wire. It's the uh, newest Amos Decker uh, story uh, in the. Uh, well, would you call it the Memory Man series? Is that? Absolutely, yeah. You call it the memory miniatures. A lot of people do. Yep. And um, what? Who comes out next? Who's Who's on deck? So Atley Pine will be back in the in November uh, for the third installment in the Atley Pine series. Well, I wish you uh, all the best and uh, and happy writing. Stay safe and uh, and productive if you can. That's that's always good. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Same to you. All right. Take care, David. That was David Baldacci. He's a global number one best-selling author and really one of the world's favorite storytellers. um, His books are published in over 45 languages in more than 80 countries with over 150 million worldwide sales. He's uh, had his books adapted for both feature film and television. In fact, uh, ever since he's been coming on the show, um, I've I've been uh, <laughs> um, reminding him that his very first novel was made into a blockbuster movie, and uh, one of my one of my favorite characters, which was played by Clint Eastwood, the movie was called Absolute Power. Anyway, we're going to leave it there until uh, next time with David Baldacci, and you'll. We have more of the Tom Sumner program straight up. Another five-minute mystery. Our story takes place in Green's Gap, a small town in the Southern Cavern District. Greens Gap Hospital, Dr. Melville speaking. Doctor, doctor, there's been an accident out at Echo Cavern. Accident? What kind of accident? Two men were exploring and they got lost last night. One's unconscious. You better come quick before he's dead. I hope you know how to get out to Echo Cavern, Len. Well, with the job of being town constable and ambulance driver, I reckon I know all there is to know about these parts. Ever been in the cavern, Len? Once, Doc Melville, when I was a boy. Nearly got my hide tanned off by my paw. Echo Cavern's a mite treacherous place. You mean it's easy to get lost in it? Not only that, Doc. It's that cavern gas carbine. Mm, something. 
You mean carbon dioxide? Yeah, that's it. All of a sudden, you run into some of that stuff, and before you know it, bing, you're out. Still, people seem to be going uh, exploring in there. More fools to be. I wouldn't go into them caverns, at least till I was not without a dog. A dog? What for? Well, if a dog keels over, then you know the gas is collecting. I'm afraid, Mr. Gaddy, your friend is dead. Oh, poor Patsy. It wasn't from the gas, was it, Doc? That's what it looks like to me. Why'd you go into that cavern anyway? Patsy asked me to. We'd never seen a cave before. How far did you go in? Well, it didn't seem very far, but all of a sudden we lost our way. Where was that? Well, how do I know whereabouts it was if we was lost? We tried to trace our way back, but it was no use. Patsy started to get scared. It's kind of funny to see a big guy like that get scared. Yeah, he is rather big, isn't he? Yeah, six foot four. The mob used to call us Mutt and Jeff. And then what happened? Well, I was a little scared myself, but we stuck together. You know, walking in the dark with only my flash from the car. All of a sudden, Pat's keeled over. From the gas? Yeah, that's what I figured. His head hit on a rock, and I guess that just about finished him off. I suppose you reckon yourself pretty lucky, mister. Yeah, sure. I figure it's because I'm only five foot three that I got out of there alive. The gas must have been just about a foot over my head. Yeah? And what do you think about that, Doc Melville? I think you better arrest Mr. Gotti for the murder of his friend Patsy. What was the flaw in Gaddy's story? Do you know it? In a moment, we'll hear from Lem and Dr. Melville. And now, let's see whether you're as observant as Lem and the doctor. Hey, copper, let me put my hands down. They're tired. When you're in Green Gap's jail, not before. I don't get it. It was a good story. I still can't figure out how you found out. Lem tells me they used to take dogs in the cavern because the gas is heavier than air. It collects on the floor. If you really meant gas, you would have keeled over first, before your pal Patsy. Well, what do you know? I tell you, nowadays in this murder racket, you need a college education. Another five-minute mystery. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, Sean Cantwell, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. Stay tuned to the Tom Sumner Program for future mini-mysteries. But it's a welcome change of face from the man. 
Pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 